Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Eurowatch. Money FM 89.3. It is now time for Eurowatch. I'm Elliot Danker, and we're going to take a look at a few issues. The European Union and Chinese leaders set to meet. It's going to be quite an intensive in-person engagement between Chinese and European leaders. Also, we are expecting uh, the Chinese Premier Li Keqiang to chair the summit on the Chinese side. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen set to travel to Beijing as well. So the question is, what is this summit going to do for EU-China relations going into 2020? 24. Online with me is Jeremy Nestrovic, who is Professor of Geopolitics, Essex Business School, Asia Pacific. Professor, good afternoon. How are you? Hello, good afternoon, Elliot. I'm fine, I'm fine, thank you. It's a rainy afternoon and a lot of leaders are preparing for this two-day EU-China summit hosted by Chinese President Xi Jinping. It's going to happen in Beijing. We've got the EU President Ursula von der Leyen calling for a clear-eyed approach to China's hardening global posture. My, my. The last summit between these two sides was, I believe, April 2022. Quite tense. What are you expecting this round, Professor? Exactly. It was quite tense last time, but uh, last time it was remote uh, because they could not meet in person. Now it is the first time after four years that they are meeting in person. So everything will count. That is the body gesture, the body language, etc. Not only what they have to talk about. I think it will be quite intense Mm -hmm. because it is one day only. And on the agenda, they have plenty of items. So I'm not so sure that they will go through all these items. However, uh, we'll see. And I think that from the European side, they would like to de-risk very much. Mm-hmm. So they invented this new term, which is de-risking, that China doesn't like very much. Yeah. Uh, they're saying, no, 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 we don't want to de-risk. But think that on the European side, they will look for that. Uh, Professor, I think everyone's going to read every negotiation book and tactic because trade is probably going to be the big issue. The EU wants to trade, but then cost is a factor. What's the most tangible outcome that the EU can push for here? I think that the most important thing is the deficit that the European Union has with China. And they will try to close this deficit as much as they can. As usually, they will accuse China of hidden subsidies. So this is why the Chinese products are coming quite uh, cheap on the European market. So they would like to have the cost structure of many of those products, but I'm not so sure that they will get this information. And apart from the um, uh, from the economic issues, we also have some, uh, let's say, geopolitical issues, such as Russia and the Middle East, and they cannot put this apart. For instance, Josip Borrell, who is the Commissioner for the Foreign Affairs of the European Union, he is also part of the delegations. I'm sure that Wang Yi on the other side will also have conversations Mm -hmm. with him. Now, I'm no political expert, but I can't help but think, what if the EU goes back empty-handed? Surely it's cause for them to start, and not just them, I guess, other world leaders as well, to start thinking about the approach with China, perhaps uh, change tactics. Yeah, I think that they will not come back empty-handed. Okay. Um, China has already started to relax some rules. For instance, visa-free travels to China. 
Mm -hmm. As you know, for many countries in the world, it is a hassle how to go to China because yeah. you need yeah. a visa, etc. And they announced, no, 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 we will accept visa-free travel for some nations, not for all of them. But it, see, this will ease very much uh, also the business travels when they come to China. Mm. And on the other side, I'm also sure that they will try to talk about the electrical vehicles in order to find some some modus vivendi for them. Otherwise, there would be a clash because uh, uh, in European Union, they import so many uh, EV uh, coming from China, but also yeah. batteries for their own manufacturing process. Okay. Uh, Professor, I'm going to ask a series of questions about EVs since you brought mm -hmm. that up. And I want to start off with the China point of view just to expand a little bit. So Beijing criticizing the EU investigation into subsidies received by Chinese EV yes. exporters, potential mm -hmm. new tariffs as well. What can we expect if China, and really it's just following up, what can we expect if China, if the EU is to ease its firm stance on these issues, what can we expect in response from China or should they expect, you know, the EU to ease their stance? I think that the best response from China would be to say, let's cooperate in this field. Sure. Because so far, China has said, only because it has been excluded from the cooperation, they are saying, we will do everything on our own. And we will do it cheaper, so we will kill your own industry in the right. European Union. Right. But we can all cooperate. And China can say, okay, let's open the box of cooperation. You can come to China in order to produce. You can open up some markets that we have in the European Union, and everyone will profit from that. I mm. think that they will shoot for the cooperation rather than confrontation with the European Union. It serves this other piece uh, that was out in the news well. European car makers receiving a boost after Brussels proposed a three-year delay to tariffs. These tariffs were due to hit electric vehicle sales between yes. the UK and EU from January the 1st next year. Mm -hmm. So, uh, quite good. These uh, post-Brexit rules supposed to happen as soon as next year. To be fair though, why was there a delay in the first place? So, there was a delay because of the COVID at mm, that time. Okay, okay. So, they were saying because of the COVID, we have to postpone all this, okay? And in the meantime, I think that in the UK, they have realized that they cannot really do something without the European Union. Okay. Uh, so, they are coming to the conclusion that realistically, it is better to go with the European Union. So, I think that at the end of the day, if the UK is not part of the European Union, they will have more and more there's kind of separate agreements. So in that case, it will be like if they were still part of the European Union, which is not the case. Okay, Professor, stop me if I'm being over-enthusiastic about the two headlines here. I'm just trying to see if they both link. I mean, on the one hand, you've got these rules that are essentially supposed to stop these cheap imports uh, from countries mm -hmm. like, like China. On the other hand, yeah. you have the issue of wanting to build your own gigafactories within mm -hmm. Europe. How will this play out or, or can it to be advantageous to the EU? I think that it will be very difficult to build them without the support of China. Okay. Because you can do whatever you want. The cost structure in the European Union will be much higher. So the, the tariffs that they have talk about is about 10%. But China has even better than 10% differential with the European Union. Mm. So in that case, it will not be enough in order to compensate for, let's say, the competitiveness which okay. is coming from China. Okay, well, Professor, we continue to talk about the competitiveness from China and how Italy now has mm. confirmed that they're going to pull out of China's uh, Belt and Road yes. Initiative. The Prime Minister, Giorgio Meloni, the administration there notifying Beijing will stop participating 
participating in the BRI ahead of the deadline at the end of the year. It, funny because Italy was the only major Western nation to sign up for the BRI. <laughs> and now it's come to this. I mean, will there be a backlash? So the uh, move from Italy was a surprise at that time. Yeah. And the Chinese part, they promised everything. And they promised, if I'm not mistaken, about $20 billion investments in Italy, which, of course, did not materialize. So if they did not materialize, the Italian side was saying, well, maybe we have been fooled around, so let's do something else. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, the trade deficit of Italy has gone tremendously high. Mm-hmm. So from the Italian side, they're saying investments are not coming. The trade deficit is higher. Uh, what is happening there? Yeah. So they didn't get anything from this kind of agreement. So I think that it is a realistic thing. It's not a political decision. It is a realistic thing. Just by looking at the results, they're saying the numbers don't add up for us. Yeah. So in that case, let's move and let's do something else. Finally, Prof, is it a crisis when Germany's Green Vice-Chancellor cancels attending a climate summit? Now, I'm talking about the economy minister, Robert Habeck, uh, was supposed to attend the COP28 summit in Dubai. Instead, he was in Berlin to wrangle with coalition partners over an emergency agreement for next year's budget. What is the issue here with Germany's budget? Yeah, the issue is that... uh the Constitutional Court has found out that the budget, that the deficit in the budget is not backed up by some constitutional measures. They have the possibility how to fill in the budget by taking the money which has been forecasted for COVID. As you remember, at that time, there were billions of dollars which have been forecasted in order to deal with COVID, but not for the regular deficit. So this is where constitutional court was saying, no, 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 we have to do something else. You cannot take this money and to compensate the budget. For, you have to find your own money okay. for the budget. So this is why there is a problem there. And as you have mentioned, the minister is coming from the Green Party. The Green Party, they want to continue with the deficit <laughs> because they would like to fund some social programs. On, uh, but in the coalition, you have not only the SPD from Olaf Scholz, but you also have some conservatives which are present there. And these people, they don't want to increase the budget deficit. So I think that it will be a hard time in order to find a consensus. Lately, I was looking at the situation yesterday. Mm-hmm. Even if he had stayed there, he didn't go to Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. But even if uh, he was present in uh, Berlin, they couldn't find a solution for that. Is it reading too much if Germany is having this problem when you consider that they are one of, if not the strongest economy in the EU? It is the strongest economy in the EU, but I don't think that it is a fundamentally big problem for them. It is only a question, is it constitutional or not? So at the end of the day, if there is a political consensus on that, they can find a solution. It is not as if money does not exist. No, the money exists, but the only way is how to get this money and to compensate for the budget. Once again, the complexity of politics, I suppose. (laughs) I've been speaking with Jeremy Nesterveig, who is Professor of Geopolitics, Essex Business School, Asia Pacific. Professor, as always, appreciate your time. Take care and have a great Thursday evening. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm going to see my students right now. (laughs) (laughs) To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.